0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 31st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be catching up with a whole bunch of film and television news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today is writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, you wrote a majority of these articles, and because we've been sort of delayed in talking about news because of Memorial Day and our water cooler episode yesterday, we have a ton of news to get to today. So let's kick it off with one of the biggest stories uh, in, really, in in TV history that might not be too much of an overstatement. Um, Roseanne has been canceled. The star of the show, Roseanne Barr, tweeted a racist statement, which is, like, not surprising considering her past, but ABC... the network that ran Roseanne or aired it uh, finally had enough and decided that they were going to officially cancel the show. It ended its first season or not its first season, but I guess it's been its revival season. So this is actually the 10th season of the show overall, but the first since it's come back, you know, since the nineties and uh, ABC uh, had already, you know, decided to give it a second season. It was a huge ratings hit It, by many metrics was, The most popular show on television, which is like pretty phenomenal. And ABC has finally pulled the plug on this. They released a statement. Uh, you guys can read the Roseanne's original tweet at this article in Slashville. I'm not going to go through all of that stuff. But ABC uh, president said, Roseanne's Twitter statement is abhorrent, repugnant, and inconsistent with our values, and we've decided to cancel her show. And even Bob Iger, the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, which owns ABC, uh, decided to chime in saying there was only one thing to do here, and that was the right thing. So, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts about this?
1: I mean... <sighs> So I, I was a fan of the original, the original Roseanne back, you know, when it aired on, I guess, ABC, you know, and because the original run, it was, you know, Roseanne at the time was sort of sane, I guess. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, if you look at old episodes of Roseanne, there's actually like a lot of progressive stuff in it. Like, yeah, you know, the whole pitch Roseanne is, you know, they're a blue collar working class family, but the early, you know, the original run it made a point of saying, you know, uh, these characters contain multitudes that, you know, they're not stereotypes. And at some point, you know, over the last decade or so, Roseanne uh, lost her mind. I don't know. She became a, (laughs) a really terrible person. I mean, and you know, uh, on one level, I I fully support this idea of canceling the show because you know, what she said was uh, abhorrent, but at the same time, it seems like it's like what took them so long because she's been saying this sort of stuff for years now, you know, before they agreed to give her the show, she was still saying stuff like this. And it's like, you know, I don't want to knock it, you know, I don't want to do the whole too little too late thing, but it seems like, you know, they, they should have took this new account before agreeing to give her a show again.
0: Yeah. I wonder if they just weren't aware of the extent to which she was, you know, had kind of gone off the deep end because she's like, she's into full-on conspiracy theories and like she's really responsible for proliferating a lot of the uh the alt-right conspiracy theories about uh donald trump breaking up child sex rings and all sorts of insane things that are like demonstrably false (laughs) so you would think that abc would have i don't know done some digging into the past you know it's it's like anytime somebody is hired for any job there's like a buzzfeed article or somebody you know dives into their Twitter history and pulls out every terrible thing they've ever said. It seemed like ABC maybe was just blinded by the possibility of, uh, you know, earning a ton of really good ratings, which they did for a while. But yeah, I- I'm sort of right there with you. It like seems like uh, too little too late. And um, But I-, I guess I'm glad ultimately that they sort of made the call. And I guess after the cancellation, Reruns of the original series that ran from 1988 to 1997 have been pulled from all sorts of TV networks, you know, Paramount Network, TV Land, CMT. So it seems like this is just going to be scrubbed from history. And I never watched the original Roseanne, but I've heard a lot of people say sort of what you just did, like the first batch of seasons was, uh, you know, pretty progressive and and like legitimately good television. So it's it's sort of one of those things where it's like, it's unfortunate that we're going to lose uh quality tv in this but at a certain point like there has to be consequences for actions right i don't know i'm I'm, I'm glad that we're not living in a world that's completely consequence-free but um let's move on to our next our article and that is uh the penguin might be the villain of the new batman movie chris tell us about this one.
1: Oh yeah so justin kroll who is a reporter for variety um he he prefaced this by saying, Take this with a grain of salt, but he also he added that there's a rumor going around right now that uh, the penguin will be the villain in Matt Reeves the Batman um his his long awaited solo Batman film, which has gone through uh, several incarnations. I mean, Ben Affleck was originally going to direct it, and then he stepped away from directing, saying, you know he, the script wasn't right. Uh, now, you know, there's been tons of rumors that Ben Affleck might actually just leave the, the DCEU before he even makes this film. So we don't really know what is even going on with this. But there's a strong indication that the Penguin will be in this film, uh, so much so that the other half of the story says that if he doesn't end up – if the character doesn't end up in the Batman, he might end up in that Birds of Prey slash Harley Quinn movie they're making. So someone at Warner Brothers really wants the Penguin in the DCEU. So this is one of those things that, like you just said, somebody
0: at WB has sort of a hard on for this idea. And it seems it's one of those stories that you are one of those um, notions that you sort of hear about. Like, I think Kevin Smith told this famous story. You've probably heard it about the John Peters, the producer of. Um, who was going to be the producer of a Superman movie that he was going to be working on, Creating, he wanted this giant mechanical spider to be in that film, and it ultimately made its way into Wild Wild West instead. It's just like the idea of one person up somewhere up the chain getting this idea in their head that, like, yes, this element has to be in this movie. Um, do you think that it makes sense for the Penguin to be in a Birds of Prey movie? Like, let's assume that it, he doesn't show up in... The Batman. I know that the Penguin and Catwoman uh, were, to, you know, shared the screen in Batman Returns. But do you think, you know, Harley Quinn and all these female characters throwing the
1: Penguin in there would be an interesting mix? The only thing I can think of is uh, some producer said, "Well, the a Penguin is a bird, so why don't we put him in the Birds of Prey film?" <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of there. But you know, I don't, I don't know what the the script for that movie looks like. So I mean, it might work. I, I really think this comes down to like casting like who they if they cast an interesting actor in this part i mm-hmm. think it'll work out but i i don't know what they're gonna do
0: what do you think is going on i mean this is a larger conversation i guess but just based on all the articles that we've been writing over the past few months what the hell do you think is happening in the world of the dceu right now do you think that there's like i mean there's so many projects that have been announced that sound completely bonkers and we haven't really seen um much movement on them do you think like which which of the many projects that they have in development do you think are the most likely to actually uh,
1: come to fruition one day i mean they'll definitely get this batman movie off the grounds because batman is like their bread and butter he's the character who's always a success for them um i guess they're gonna get that birds of prey movie made because that's moving forward and mario robbie seems to be spearheading that uh, really hard but It really sounds like they're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. I mean, you know, they have Aquaman coming out later this year, which seems like the tail end of the the quote unquote Snyderverse, which is pretty much over at this point. And then there's Shazam next year, which is going to be more comedic, I guess. I don't know. It, It just seems like they're literally just trying everything until they have a hit on their hands. I mean, the only surefire thing they have right now is... Wonder Woman 2. Everyone's going to be excited for that because everyone liked the first Wonder Woman. But beyond that, I don't know. All right.
0: And one last question. Do you think, based on almost nothing and and a lot of the whispers that we've heard that, you know, could be nothing, could be something, do you think just in your gut that Ben Affleck is going to come back to play Batman again?
1: I want to say no, because it seems like he really does not like being in, like... (laughs) <laughs> it seems like he thought he was signing up for something completely different. And you know, every everyone by now everyone has seen that, that meme where he just looks miserable. And I really think he hasn't enjoyed this experience, but again, you know, if, if the script turns out, well, he might want to stick around. I don't know. He doesn't seem like he has a lot, other things going on at the moment so i don't know
0: yeah yeah all right so let's move on into another uh, comic book themed story and that is that woody harrelson has confirmed that he is going to appear in venom and venom 2 Uh, i don't even think venom 2 has been officially greenlit yet but uh, sony as many of you probably know has decided to create an entirely separate marvel cinematic universe of their own that doesn't really feature Spider-Man, but features a bunch of Spider-Man's uh, supporting characters instead. And Venom is the first movie that is going to be in that new universe. Tom Hardy is starring as Venom. Ruben Fleischer, the director of Zombieland, is directing the movie. And uh, a rumor came out, or a, a story came out, that Woody Harrelson, this was last year, I think, that Woody Harrelson was rumored to you know, be close to in talks to joining or something like that. We didn't really know much about his character. But now, because he was doing Uh, some press for his new movie and uh, solo a star wars story he has answered the question he has confirmed that he is going to be in venom he said i'm in a little fraction of this movie but i'll be in the next one you know so i haven't read that script but anyways just roll the dice which makes it sound like a very um haphazard decision on his part like Woody Harrelson doesn't give a shit what he's doing he's just like yeah sure why not whatever um but he is reuniting with Ruben Fleischer who directed him in Zombieland so I guess it makes sort of sense that way uh we originally heard that Harrelson would be playing a quote-unquote henchman in Venom and now the idea that he's in a little fraction of this movie but will likely play a much larger role in the second one has me wondering if He's actually going to be playing Carnage, which is a, a rumor that went around that I think you wrote about uh, a month or two ago. Um, and what do we know about Carnage?
1: What What is this character? Do you know? Uh, my bulk of knowledge from Carnage is from the great old video game Maximum Carnage, which I used to play all the time, but, uh, from what I understand it, he's sort of like Venom, you know, he has the, the Sim, how do you say it? Symbiote? Symbiote, I think? Symbiote? What's with that? symbiote <laughs> costume, but, um, you know, whereas Venom has sort of blossomed into this anti-hero, and he's gonna be an anti-hero in... The Venom movie, Carnage is um, a serial killer. So he, he's just straight up bad news. So, he, you know, I guess he's the anti-Venom, if you will. Although I guess <laughs> Spider-Man is also the anti-Venom, but they, they can't have that in this movie.
0: Right. So uh, let's assume that Woody Harrelson is playing a serial killer named Cletus Cassidy, who is infected with this alien uh, creature, this alien symbiote. Do you think that Woody Harrelson as a, like sort of a cracked out comic book villain is, is uh, going to lead to an interesting performance?
1: Yes. I'd actually like to see that. Um, uh, I feel like, I don't think Venom as, as a movie is going to be great, but I'm curious to see it because it looks like it might be interesting in a, in a, terrible sort of way like oh this was enjoyable in how dumb it is but uh, i love the idea of woody harrelson just doing whatever he wants as a comic book villain i I, i'm actually surprised it's taken this long to get him in a comic book movie because he seems like he would have a a lot of fun just you know going over the top and doing his thing so yeah
0: totally uh, I think he can he really pulls off like the manic sort of crazy eyes with the best of them I think. So I, the, I I'm totally right there, you know, I'm all in for seeing him just completely unhinged as uh, as Carnage and like I I relish the idea of one day seeing a bunch of uh, behind-the-scenes photos of Woody Harrelson all decked out in like motion capture suits and like you know flashing insane faces and and doing all sorts of crazy stuff like that. That seems like uh, I would be pretty in- entertained by that. Um, so yeah, we don't know when Venom 2 is coming out. We don't even know if Ruben Fleischer is going to be directing the second movie. I'm wondering if that's why he agreed to appear in this film. Is it because he may have had a conversation with Fleischer who. Plans to direct Venom to as well but we don't even know if the first Venom is going to perform very well at the box office that movie doesn't come out until October 5th so uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one in the meantime talking about another movie that's sort of uh, been in the works for a while The Crow remake Uh, (laughs) this movie has a hell of a history Uh, Chris tell us the latest about this one
1: when I, when I was writing this story up, my, my mind started to break as I went over the history of this film. So uh, I feel like everyone knows The Crow. Uh, it's based on the graphic novel by James O'Barr. It was turned into a, a film in 1994 by Alex Proyas. And it starred Brandon Lee, who um, infamously died while making the film due to an accident on set. And um, since about 2008, Relativity Media, who originally owned it, have been trying to make a remake. And it's gone through... Several directors. Um, Stephen Norrington, who directed Blade, was going to direct it, and then Juan Carlos Fresneladio, i am sure I pronounced that wrong—who directed Twenty Eight Weeks Later was going to direct it. Um, and they keep changing. They kept changing actors too. Bradley Cooper was going to be in it at one point. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, Channing Tatum, Ryan Gosling, James McAvoy, Good God, <laughs> Luke Evans. Um, <laughs> So Luke Evans was the first one to be officially signed on. And then he dropped out almost instantly and was replaced by Jack Houston, who was on Boardwalk Empire. And he was in that terrible Ben-Hur remake. Then Jack Houston left and they suggested Nicholas Holt or Jack O'Connell take over. Uh, Neither of them signed on. Um, uh, Directors kept changing. And then finally, Corin Hardy who directed this uh, indie horror film, The Hollow, and he's directing the upcoming Conjuring spinoff, The Nun, signed on to direct and Jason Momoa, who, you know, he's Aquaman and uh, Game of Thrones actor, signed on to play the lead. And, you know, after all the, the turmoil, all the ups and downs, it sounded like things had finally stabilized and the film was about five weeks away from beginning production and now, both Corn Hardy and Jason Momoa have left the project. So <laughs> now it has no, no director, no star and uh, they're you know, it's dead again basically. And they should probably give it up at this point, but I know they won't. I know in a month's time we're going to hear the new director and new actor and then like 2 months later they're going to drop out. this will just this will go on
0: forever. This might end up being one of the most expensive movies ever made just because of how much money has been pumped into it in the development stages. Like, I I think I remember hearing something about how Superman Returns was way more expensive than... Uh, you know, then it sort of looked because that movie was in the works for so long and so many different people took a pass at the script and were attached over the years. And I think Tim Burton was attached to direct version and, and all of that, like all of that money was just sort of uh, funneled into the final production budget of this movie, which seems sort of unfair to the people who finally came on at the last minute to figure this thing out. But God, what a nightmare this sounds like. And, you know, I think people were making jokes about the crow being cursed you know one or two entries into this uh rotating door of of talent coming you know coming around and now we're like i don't know 10 instances deep into that where you've just listed all these people who've been involved with this project over the years D- do you think this ever is going to get made or do you think they really will just sort of uh pack it up
1: i'm sure they'll get it made sooner or later they really should pack it up because I don't think anyone wants a new crow at this point, but they seem so dead set on making this happen. And I also feel like there's like a sort of like pride thing where it's like, God damn it. We've been trying so long. We're going to get this made no matter what. And, It'll come out, and it'll bomb, and then they'll move on.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so let's talk about uh, Top Gun 2. Speaking of movies that I I guess I never expected to finally come out, um, Top Gun 2 is one of those that's been in discussions for a long, long time, and Tom Cruise, the star of the first movie who's coming back to reprise his role as Maverick uh, in the sequel, has shared a photo of himself holding his old um, fighter pilot helmet that says Maverick on the back, with the text, feel the need over the top of it. So he posted this image on Twitter uh, with the hashtag day one of production. So uh, this movie is happening. I think at one point it was called Top Gun colon Maverick, but we're not sure what the official title is yet. We know it's being directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who is the filmmaker who directed Tom Cruise in a sci-fi film called Oblivion a few years ago. Uh, Kaczynski is the, the guy who directed Tron Legacy. That was his first film. And um, sort of, I mean, based on Tron Legacy and Oblivion, he's one of those guys that uh, has a really really interesting visual knack but doesn't know (laughs) really how to uh, wrangle a story together in a satisfying way based on my experience with his films i I think he also directed a, uh, a firefighter movie that came out either earlier this year or last year i don't remember the name of it but i'm sure you know the one i'm talking about miles teller is in it i think josh brolin is in it as well but um yeah so top gun maverick or top gun 2 This thing, it looks like it's actually finally happening. Uh, Chris, are you interested in this? What do you think about the first Top Gun, and and are you interested in a sequel?
1: So here's where I confess I've never seen the original Top Gun. That's one one of those movies I've never seen. Um, So I can't say I'm I'm chomping at the bit for a sequel. (laughs) But uh, I like Tom Cruise, you know, despite his sometimes questionable... Uh, interviews. I like Tom Cruise. I he he's one of those you know consummate entertainers. He'll he'll do whatever it takes to make his movies. So uh, at the very least, I'm looking forward to stories about what insane, dangerous stunts he does for this film. Like I'm sure he'll literally eject himself from a plane and fly. You know, he'll just he'll do all the crazy shit that he he needs to do to get this movie made. Yeah, he really
0: seems to have entered that phase in his career where it's almost you know, you were talking about the pride before of like a Hollywood is trying to just, you know, will something into existence. It seems like Tom Cruise has, has really taken pride in becoming that guy who does all these crazy stunts for real. So, uh, regardless of the franchise, it seems like he, I mean, even like a uh, rock of ages, like he did his own singing for that movie where he plays like this hair metal guy from like a movie in 2012. So, uh, I think he, uh, he's definitely seems like he's taking pride in being that guy who does these stunts. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I really, really like the first top gun. I think it's, it's, it's cheesy, but in a way that, uh, makes it really easy to love anyway. Um, I would be really interested to hear what you think about it because I grew up with that movie, so I sort of have like a weird relationship where where I probably can't look at it as objectively as somebody who's coming to it fresh. So if you get a chance to check that out sometime in the next you know whatever a couple months, uh, check back in maybe on you know what we've been watching section or something and let us know what you think about that. That would be that would be interesting to hear. Yeah, um, I got
1: I have to get around
0: to seeing it at this point. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so Sesame Street and the Happy Time Murders are both projects that involve Muppets or puppet creatures. And there's been this uh, back and forth lawsuit with them over the past week. Can you run down the history of this and, and how this whole thing wrapped up?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So The Happy Time Murders, it's um, it's a film directed by Brian Henson, who is the son of Jim Henson, who, of course, created the Muppets. And uh, it's, you know, it's a dirty puppet movie, basically. It, you know, it's like Who Framed Roger Rabbit with the F word and puppets instead of cartoons. So there's, you know, it's a murder mystery with puppets and humans and it's very raunchy, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's poking fun of, you know, the whole Muppet universe, I guess you could say. And the film has a tagline, which personally I think is a terrible tagline, but that's neither here nor there. And it's, uh, no Sesame all street. And apparently the, uh, the makers of Sesame street, Sesame workshop, were very unhappy about this. They basically said, you know, this was tarnishing the Sesame Street brand. You know, it was associating Sesame Street with with this, this raunchy material. And so they, they filed a lawsuit to basically, you know, try and stop, uh, you know, the film uh, from using this tagline and changing its marketing. And, uh, you know, if, if you were hoping for a long drawn out court case here, you're not going to get it because almost... Uh, immediately after filing this. I, th- I think we learned about this on Friday. And today, we learned, actually yesterday, we learned that uh, a judge has already already ruled in favor of the Happy Time Murders. And the, you know, the judge said, I'm not gonna read his exact quote, but he basically boiled it down to saying that Sesame Workshop really didn't even have a case here, so it wasn't worth going any further. So there you have it, the the Happy Time Murders has won. I thought it was kind of
0: strange that Sesame Street went so hard after this because it's not like they have a copyright on the words Sesame and Street separated from one another. You know, like I feel like if if they used because there's a period in that, uh, you know, it's two sentences with the tagline all all Sesame, no street or whatever the other way around, I guess Um, it, it seems like. I don't know, it, it always seemed like sort of a flimsy thing to me, but I guess I can kind of understand where they're coming from, like not wanting people to be confused with uh, with the branding there. I mean, do you think that they thought this through at all? Do you think this was like uh, a, a conspiracy to just get the Happy Time Murders some more publicity? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I really don't know. It's, it's very, I mean... You know, I don't want to be smirched Sesame Street because they're an institution and they've done such great things for you know just you know the world in general. But it does seem like this whole lawsuit was a little frivolous, and you know they they easily they easily could have like issued a statement saying they didn't like it without trying to sue. Like it just seems like it's unnecessary to get you know legal about this. <laughs> Yeah, and it's especially strange
0: considering, like you mentioned, Brian Henson, the director, and I think maybe co-writer of the script. Did he write it? Did you say that? I don't remember if he's just Yeah, he did write it. Okay, yeah, so writer, director Brian Henson, who's the son of Jim Henson, like you said, uh, that that Sesame Street is attacking him, and the Jim Henson company created the Muppets and, and puppet characters that appear on Sesame Street, and I thought it was kind of strange that... These uh, that that the Happy Time murders was sort of like under fire from an organization that was so close to them, but doing a little bit more research, the Sesame Workshop that you've mentioned is the rights holder to Sesame Street, but they're a separate non-profit company that just produces the show Sesame Street. So it's not actually like the same company or like a subsidiary or anything like that. So just in case anybody was confused like I was, uh, I finally had to do some digging to figure that out. But um, let's move on to our next item. (laughs) And we have so much news to talk about today. Uh, This is one of the more bizarre items that we've been sort of tracking over the past couple days. A Sonic the Hedgehog movie is in the works. Tell us about that. Uh, um, <laughs> i'm sorry i'm making you do this uh so
1: yeah uh I, I feel like everyone knows sonic the hedgehog you know the classic sega game about a hedgehog who runs around collecting rings and fighting uh a mad scientist I mean, it's it's it is what it is um for some reason <laughs> paramount wants to turn that premise into a film And they've cast a lead, and that lead is James Marsden from uh, Westworld. He's on Westworld right now. And uh, he's not actually playing Sonic the Hedgehog. None of the stories report who he's playing. There was a rumor floating around that the character is a cop who helps Sonic the Hedgehog, but that has not been confirmed by anyone, so I don't really want to say that's the plot. But I, I honestly, I don't know what the hell... (laughs) This movie's going to be... I don't know who James Morrison is playing. I don't know why the Sonic the Hedgehog movie needs a human character. For some reason, this movie is being made as a combination live-action animation film when really this should really just probably be all CGI, but I I guess Paramount has a vision for this, and they're sticking with it. It seems like they're trying to
0: chase like the... uh... What is that? The Smurfs or, you know, the Alvin and the Chipmunks or something trying to put it in that mold. And it's like this movie, or this character, rather, Sonic the Hedgehog was popular on Sega video game systems that I guarantee you a huge percentage of the target audience to this movie has never even like laid eyes on that console before. (laughs) Like the name recognition of this character, I don't think is as you know, pervasive as they think it is. So the approach, this half-live-action, half-animation hybrid approach seems like a really strange choice to me. Um, And it's also, like yeah like Tim Miller, the guy who directed Deadpool, is executive producing this. So I'm so like automatically not as interested with his involvement because I don't like the first Deadpool, and I don't think he's a particularly great director. So I, I can't believe that this is happening. i I think this is one of those ideas that a studio has been kicking around for years and years, but uh, this is one that i'm I'm honestly shocked that it's ap- it's happening this late in the game. I mean the the, uh, release date for this is november 15th 2019 this movie is is gonna come out so like I, i feel like the last person who legitimately played sonic the hedgehog on a sega console is gonna be like i don't know 25 or something by the time this movie hits theaters i don't know this is just this is a weird one to me um i don't know i'm chris i'm just gonna i'm gonna blow past this i'm not even gonna make you think about this anymore (laughs) that's fine Uh, that's fine so let's talk a little bit about lock and key uh i'm interested this is based on a comic series and a tv adaptation has been in the works for a long time have you read the comic
1: I haven't. I am. I do like Joe Hill's writing. He's. Uh, he is, of course, the son of Stephen King. And uh, I like a lot of Joe Hill's short stories, but I've never read this comic. Okay, yeah, I have not either. But I've written so
0: many stories about Lock and Key over the years becoming a, a potential TV adaptation that I feel like I know the story pretty well. So uh, it's a comic that is sort of a horror fantasy series that... Uh, tracks three siblings who, along with their mother, move into their old family home in Maine after the murder of their father, and they discover that something sinister is at work there. It's this sort of classic haunted house thing, and there's a set of keys that can open doors into different dimensions. Uh, there's a demon there that will stop at nothing to obtain those keys. So it sounds like a, a pretty cool concept, and like I said, I've, I've never gotten actually actually gotten around to, to reading the comic myself, but I, I need to remedy that immediately. But uh, Lock and Key has uh, sort of a troubled development history uh the fox network developed it as a pilot in 2011 and mark romanek the filmmaker behind one hour photo and never let me go directed a a pilot that actually screened for audiences at comic-con that year but fox ended up passing on the pilot and then they were talking about making it into a movie instead of a tv show and then uh it's one of those things that's just it's it's never fully died there it hasn't had much movement on it for a long time but uh it's always sort of like bubbling up every once in a while and remaining a possibility so the latest is that uh, netflix has neared uh it's pretty close to picking it up um for uh, a series or you know to a series order uh from showrunner carlton Hughes who's one of the guys behind lost and um Andy Muschietti, the director of the recent It movie, is going to be an executive producer on it. He, I guess, directed a pilot for Hulu, and Hulu... Uh, watched that pilot and and ended up passing on the show so they're going to recast everything and put a new director on it but Muschietti is still going to be credited as an executive producer on this version whenever it eventually goes to Netflix so that's the long uh, I guess abbreviated history there's there's more in there as well and you can read uh, more about this and all the other stories that we talked about at SlashFilm so um, just for, for people who are big lock and key comic book fans who have been crossing their fingers for years and years that this is actually going to happen. It sounds like it's closer than ever uh, to actually happening. So it seems like Netflix is probably going to be the final home for this thing. Um, So (laughs) this next story made me crack up when, uh, when the news first broke, tell us what Hollywood has decided to make a movie of next, Chris. Uh, (laughs) creepy crawlers, the, (laughs) the, uh, I don't, I mean this entire episode I feel like is just the two of us just like shaking our heads at all these news
1: items like what the hell is going on. I should also add that this is also a Paramount movie like Sonic the Hedgehog. So Paramount is uh they're on a roll this week, but so <laughs> Creepy Crawlers as you may remember, it was it was basically the an easy bake oven geared towards uh people who like bugs. It's it's a little oven that you make the, it's this substance called plastic goop and you put this, we put it into molds and it creates these fake bugs and monsters and stuff like that. And uh, so for some reason, Paramount really wants to turn this into a movie. Uh, there's no writer or director yet. There's no word what this will even be about, but they're, they're making it a movie. I mean, if I had to guess it was it's going to be something like Jumanji where, you know, kids find an old, creepy crawlers machine and it, it comes to life and makes real monsters. But that's just, you know, that's off the top of my head. Maybe it'll be a much smarter film than that. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I was shy. This is another thing just like Sonic where it's like the name recognition for this. I mean, I haven't even thought about creepy crawlers since the mid nineties or something like when I was growing up and those commercials were omnipresent on TV and looking at your article there was a
1: creepy crawlers TV show. I had no idea about this. Did you know about that beforehand? I did not. I found that out while researching this and it blew my mind because I had no idea it existed, but apparently yeah, there was a TV show and it actually ran for a few years. Some, it ran from 1994 to 1996. So there were enough storylines in the creepy crawlers TV show to stretch it out over a period of years.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's any more to say about that. Uh, a Creepy Crawlers movie. Man, that is it's really I mean, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. So, let's talk about the Spawn reboot. We're we're coming into the home stretch here, Chris. Uh, tell us about who has been cast to star in the new Spawn
1: movie. Jamie Foxx will play Spawn in the new Spawn reboot from Todd McFarlane, who is the the creator of Spawn, the comics um uh, spawn is yet another nineties project. it's like nineties we hear uh, spawn is another nineties project um you know it started out as a comic book back in the nineties when extreme anti heroes were all the rage in comics um it it inspired a very awful nineteen ninety seven film uh and it also inspired a surprisingly good h b o animated series which was very dark and disturbing and I actually liked that. And for years, uh, Todd McFarlane has been talking about making a reboot, getting this project back off the ground again. And for a while, it kind of seemed like he was just saying that. It just seemed like something he kept saying without any actual movement. And eventually, you know, he struck up a deal with Jason Blum at Blumhouse. But even then, it seemed like, eh, this will never happen. But now he's cast Jamie Foxx in the lead. So it seems like this project is finally moving forward and it's going to be a lot different than the 1997 film. Um, in a lot of ways in several interviews, Todd McFarland has actually compared this to Jaws, which is just bizarre to me, but you know, he's saying it's, it's going to be a movie like Jaws where Spawn is sort of like the shark in Jaws in that you don't see him all the time. He pops up as this sort of uh, force of nature. And apparently the character is going to be, dialogue-free, which is also kind of weird because why cast someone like Jamie Foxx if he's not going to have any dialogue? But Yeah, that's the big question.
0: Why the hell would they do that? That makes zero sense to me.
1: uh, A part of me feels like there's no way they're going to stick with that, that they're going to someone somewhere, like Jason Blum, or someone's going to say, you have to give him some lines because this isn't going to work. But I guess we'll see. I mean... The idea of this weird uh, stripped-down movie of inspired by Spawn is kind of interesting. I mean, I'm more interested in that than anything resembling the 1997 film. So I'm curious to see what happens. But I, I you know, Todd McFarlane isn't really a filmmaker. It's kind of weird to me that he's also directing this. Like, I, I'd, I'd feel a lot better if they handed this off to. An, an established director, but, you know, so we all have to start somewhere, so maybe he's got a, a secret masterpiece hiding somewhere in him.
0: Yeah, and, and like, uh, I think um, Todd McFarlane has never even directed, like, a commercial or anything before. Like, he, he's completely spent his career developing, you know, comics and toys and stuff like that, so the idea that he would you know, come in and be able to lock down this opportunity for himself to direct is, like, one of those know i guess if the movie turns out well i'm sure it'll turn into like one of those narratives where it's like oh he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and you know and managed to get his dream on the screen but from the outside looking in it's like you're gonna give somebody 10 million dollars who's never really like held a camera to direct a movie like this but i guess the whole blumhouse model is small budgets and uh you know comparatively small risks um And I guess with a a $10 million budget, you know Jamie Foxx probably isn't going to be taking a huge chunk of that, so maybe Jamie Foxx is just a big Spawn fan, and that's why he ended up taking this role, even if it ends up not having a ton of dialogue, I don't know, there's a lot of question marks uh, about this movie for me, but... um... Yeah, like you mentioned, it's got to be better than the thing that came out in 1997. So, all right. So after all of these stories that have made us roll our eyes back into our skulls, I wanted to finally end with a a bit of a palate cleanser and talk about uh, an Orson Welles movie. So Chris, tell us about Orson Welles' final film and how we're actually going to get to see
1: this thing. Yes, yeah, so uh, Orson Welles, his his last film was a movie called The Other Side of the Wind, and he started making it in 1970, and around 1976, it, it, he sort of ran out of the budget for it. He, he was unable to finish it and he spent a long time trying to raise the funds to finish it. At the time, he said it was about 96% complete, and he just needed you know, a little bit more money to get it done, and he was just never able to do it. You know, He died in uh, 1985, I think, and the film just sat unmade. And uh, Frank Marshall, who's a, a writer and a filmmaker and a producer, uh, has been trying for years to finish the film, and he actually struck a deal with Netflix to get it done. And, you know, of course, everyone knows Netflix doesn't really like theatrical releases and uh, Netflix had planned to screen uh, The Other Side of the Wind at uh, this year's Cannes Film Festival. But then there was a big hubbub where, you know, Cannes and Netflix got into this feud because Cannes doesn't consider Netflix to be, uh, you know, real cinema, I guess, because (laughs) specifically because they don't screen their movies in theaters. And as a result, Netflix pulled all their movies out of of cans, and there was this whole thing. And um, but now it looks like they're reconsidering things ever so slightly. And uh, Frank Marshall confirmed on Twitter that they are planning. Um, a, uh, you know, we don't know the extent of it yet, but they are planning some sort of theatrical release for the film. You know, it'll still, I'm sure it'll still appear on the streaming platform, but they're also going to roll it out in a few theaters. So. Um, I'm sure cinephiles who you know are dying to see this and hate the idea of streaming it will will have that to look forward to.
0: Yeah, and I just watched uh, Orson Welles' Citizen Kane for I, I probably have seen that movie. Maybe this might have been like my third time seeing it. And hot take that movie is really good. I don't know when the last time you saw Citizen Kane was, Chris, but uh,
1: I was very very impressed rewatching it. It's so good. I mean, that's one of those movies that it gets this sort of like cliched sort of hype where it's like, oh, everyone says Citizen Kane is a great movie, blah, blah, blah. But it really is just an amazing movie, especially for that was, you know, Orson Welles' debut film. And yeah, yeah, he, he innovated techniques in that film that filmmakers are still using today. And, you know, to the idea of um, seeing, you know, his final unfinished film, you know, to finally be finished is really cool. And, Especially because there's a lot of great actors. I mean, like John Hewson is in this, uh, Dennis Hopper is in this, you know, and these are actors who have all died, and the idea of seeing new performances from them is, is really cool.
0: And I also really enjoy movies about movie making, and it seems like this is one of those. It falls into that category. It's described as a satire of Hollywood, and it tracks the last days of a, a film director who's struggling to get his. Uh, his movie made and the movie within the movie is also called the other side of the wind. So um, this could, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like overhype something that's, that, that uh, has, <laughs> that has not been um, really seen by anyone other than the people who are working on it. But uh, I feel like, you know, just the, like you mentioned, the Houston and the, the acting talent involved, plus, um, this being freaking Orson Welles movie and and Peter Bogdanovich and uh, Frank Marshall, all these people and the idea of it being a Hollywood satire. This could, uh, I mean, just by the mere fact that it exists, put it into the the uh, you know pretty near the top of the list of those kinds of great movies about making movies
1: oh yeah ab- absolutely I, I'm, I'm very excited about this alright so I think that's finally going to bring
0: us to the end of this episode mercifully I know we've, we've talked about a lot of garbage news on today's episode so I apologize for that but hey we can only deal with what Hollywood throws at us so uh, you can find more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes of this episode uh, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com you can subscribe to the the show on itunes google play overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please feel free to send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slash and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air uh, don't forget to rate and review the podcast on itunes tell your friends and spread the word any way you can and before we sign off chris where can people find more of your work online this week
1: Uh, I am, of course, at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at evangelista 413
0: You can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow.